0: This episode of Harry
1: Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by the new podcast, Anomaly.
2: Vanessa,
0: one of my favorite YouTube holes to go down is like role play fantasy tabletop multiplayer games where I don't really know any of the people playing, but I love watching them have an adventure.
1: Well, Casper, then you would love Anomaly. It's a role-playing meditation podcast that takes you into a world of magic and fantasy. You'll be invited to imagine yourself in scenarios such as learning to cast a tranquility spell Ooh. or exploring a land once vanquished by a dragon, but all connected by a shared mythology.
2: I am genuinely going to download this right now. This sounds <laughs> amazing.
1: This podcast combines traits of a great dungeon master and Those of a talented meditation guide weaving tales of fantasy that stretch the imagination while you learn to center yourself, offer forgiveness, find confidence, and relieve stress. This is available now on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you are listening to this podcast right now. It's Anomaly spelled with an I-E at the end and not a Y. Go to S-E-E-K-A-N-O-M-A l-i-e dot com. That's seekanomaly.com to find out more. Chapter 22, St. Mungo's Hospital for Magical Maladies and Injuries. Harry was so relieved that she was taking him seriously that he did not hesitate, but jumped out of bed at once pulled on his dressing gown, and pushed his glasses back onto his nose. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Mauricio Bruce. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. We have a special guest today. I'm going to describe you, Mau, in the roles that you have in order of importance. Okay. Okay? Number one, you're one of my oldest and best friends. This is true. I think that's actually all the people need to know. (laughs)
3: Does that sound right? That's my only role.
1: (laughs) He just sits and waits for me to call. (laughs) Um, Mauricio, you are a therapist. You are a third-year Masters of Divinity student at Harvard Divinity School, and you teach with me our What Matters class, and you're going to be leading a pilgrimage with us in 2025. And we just wanted to introduce you to everybody because – As soon as people meet you, you become their favorite.
3: (laughs) I'm very excited to be here. I am one of your oldest and closest friends. Life pulls us apart and brings us back together. And now, just because of things, we're both back in Cambridge. I know. And that's exciting.
1: It is. It's so exciting. So I have just a few announcements before we jump in, and I ask you to tell your story. One is that we are going to have a bonus conversation For our patrons, and I thought that I would make you talk about a St. Mungo's type experience, which you and I have both had surgery in the last six months. And so I thought that you and I could each tell a story about waking up from surgery because I would love that. You and I are very funny on drugs. And so I thought, why not why not embarrass ourselves and tell a story that will make Arthur feel accompanied? Let's do it. Great. And then other than that, we just want to tell people that you can subscribe to ad-free episodes on Apple Podcasts, and you can also rate and review us there. And you can listen to our Patreon park at patreon.com slash Harry Potter Sacred Text. Mauricio, you have a story for us on the theme of individuality. What story are you telling us today?
3: Okay. I have a, a story that this chapter immediately takes me back to. And this is 2007. So I was living in St. Louis at the time. Everyone should know I'm originally from Costa Rica, and I had moved to the United States to be in college. And I also was pretty sure that I wanted to figure out a way to stay in the United States, find a job or find a way to, to stay. So I'd been working uh, as an admissions officer at Washington University in St. Louis, a job that I really didn't like. <laughs> Not... Because of the job, just it wasn't for me. And what happened was in 2007, uh, one stormy night, (laughs) I had a dream. And in the dream, this man who called himself a shaman in Mexico uh, spoke to me and he called me up into his little hut, um, which had lots of birds flying inside and it was covered in water, like the floor had about a foot of water and there were lots of fish. And he said to me, you know, you need to go back home. And I said, what? No. He said, yeah, you need to go back to Costa Rica. Because if you don't, awful things will happen. And I woke up from my dream really scared and also really frustrated because I didn't want to leave. (laughs) I wanted to stay in the United States, but I felt that this dream was an order that I could not not follow. And so 2009, I was. I had quit my job, I had packed up my apartment, I had given up my visa privileges, and I was moving back to Costa Rica, all because of this dream that made me feel like it was imperative and important that I move. This dream obviously connects me to chapter 22 for very obvious reasons, but also for this feeling that I had that there was one part of it that it was you're special, and so you have to listen to this communication from the other world, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. But also, if you don't do it, you're going to be singled out as bad. Bad things will happen to you if you don't follow the instructions and move to Costa Rica. So, so I moved, and I, I actually ended up doing great things in Costa Rica. I lived here for for I still live here. Uh, I've just recently moved back to Cambridge for Harvard, but uh, in a way. I have always thought of that dream as sort of my destiny calling. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know if I believe in destiny, but that's the way I interpret that dream. And it became this important moment in my life when I had to think about me in the context of something larger uh, that was out there sort of guiding me, which hadn't been a part of my reality until then.
1: Now, Thank you so much for that story. You know, when Matt's not here, I look up the etymology of words and individuality starts getting used, I think, pretty long ago considering other things I know about like how we think of ourselves, which is in the 1610s. And it meant the aggregate of one's idiosyncrasies. But then it also like in more medieval like Christian times meant the condition of existing as an individual. Mm -hmm. And I love thinking of individuality as a condition. Right. That, like, there are some conditions in which your individuality is not the thing that matters. Like, you are part Mm -hmm. of a community. And so, like, Mm -hmm. you're not an individual. You are a Weasley. And, like, all Weasley children are pulled into an office. And actually, Harry, you're not an individual. You are also a Weasley in the St. Mungo's room, but you're an individual in Dumbledore's office. Right. So, it can really be fluid when we are an individual and when we are sort of part of a community, but also when we are really individuated, like there's a lot of freedom in that, but like so much pressure and responsibility in that too. And I think your story really beautifully articulates that.
3: There's power, there's responsibility, there's freedom, but there's also all eyes on you. Right. So I completely agree. I like that that what you brought up, it's a condition.
1: Yeah. So Mal, we... We'll remind people what it is that happened in this chapter. We will each take our turn. I will try my best to recap the chapter in 30 seconds, and then you will try to recap the chapter in 30 seconds. Can you please count me in?
3: Yes. Three, (laughs) two, one, go. Go.
1: So Harry convinces McGonagall and they all go to Dumbledore's office and Fox, like they're, they are very worried that Umbridge is going to come in and um, they find Arthur's body through the portraits and then it becomes clear that Arthur is in a lot of danger and so uh, Dumbledore turns a portkey into, turns something into a portkey and Dumbledore and Harry lock eyes and uh, Harry feels pain and then they go to Sirius and then they go to Arthur and Arthur was attacked protecting something but we don't know what and he's going to be Okay. Don't worry, Mao. Arthur is gonna be okay. 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 (laughs) Phew. Mauricio, are you ready? Ready. On your mark. Get set.
3: Go. Okay, so uh, Harry wakes up from his dream and he's really scared. He's uh, called out to tell people that. Mr. Weasley is hurt, um, so McGonagall takes him to Dumbledore, who believes him, and he has these little machines, which he uses to like try and, and explore Harry's head. Anyways, and then they uh, use a portkey, but they lock eyes, and he feels like he wants to kill Dumbledore, but they uh, go to Sirius and spend the night, and then they go to St. Mungo's, where they see Mr. Weasley, and he's going to be okay, but he was protecting something, and then he hears that he's... What possessed he by hear?
1: Voldemort. <laughs> <laughs> he hears that he what?
3: Is possessed by Voldemort. Walmart.
1: He overhears that. This is why we shouldn't we shouldn't snoop people. <laughs> you hear things not meant for you to hear. So, Mauricio, the most obvious place to me where we like really see individuality is just like Harry has a vision. Nobody else has seen it, and everybody is acting on this information that only he has been given. And it is information that only he has been given because of a lot of very specific circumstances. And yet it is up to everybody else as to whether or not he will be believed and taken seriously, right? And so it is simultaneously totally about him as an individual, and yet it is also entirely about how people will respond to him in his isolation.
3: He singles himself out in a way. He comes out of the pack and says, I had this dream. This is what's going on. I have information. And everybody around him has to turn and decide whether this is real or not. Do we believe this person? Is this true or not? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Those can be really scary moments in our regular lives, right? When you're the only person who sees something as troubling when you're the only person who whatever it is like if you're the only person in your family who's like no no the car is parked in the east parking lot and everybody else is like no it's the west and you're like no no I am a hundred percent sure, right? That even if you were sure as you were walking to the East parking lot and everyone is following you, right? Like there's so much pressure because you individuated yourself.
3: Yeah. You're sure that it's in Mm -hmm. the East parking lot. You start taking everyone there, everyone who said it's not here. And then you start doubting whether it's in the East parking lot or not. Right. And you start thinking, if I brought them all the way here. Yep. And for some reason, my memory is wrong and the car is not here. I'm going to have to face the consequences yeah. of having, <laughs> like, put my neck up.
1: Right. And I love that Harry, like you, trusts his dream enough to follow it. And I, I do think that part of the reason he does is because it's someone who he loves that's at risk. If it was a dream yeah. about his own demise, I wonder what Harry would do. But he's mm. like this is worth sticking my neck out for it is possible that mr weasley is seriously injured
3: that's a good point if if it hadn't been mr weasley if it'd been just some random person that he saw right you know some worker in the ministry who he saw bitten by the snake would he have stuck his neck out or is this something about love and about the clan
1: yeah i do think it's in part his love of mr weasley that he's like this is worth Even if I'm wrong, this is worth being wrong about.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting also that this is the first dream where he's looking through the eyes of a snake. There's something, there's a different quality to this dream. And I think Tonks even brings it up and says, this this isn't about seeing the future. This is about seeing the present. We don't really know how to work with this. This is new. You're different. Yeah. (laughs) So being singled out always puts you in a place that could be both good And that could be bad for you, right? Like with the pressure of everyone watching. Right. I had this weird dream. Nobody has dreams like this. This is not a a quote unquote known form of magic. Right. So what does that say about me? Am I shining here? Is this a good superpower? (laughs) Or is this a bad thing? Is this this something that's dangerous? Am I in trouble?
1: Did I somehow kill Mr. Weasley, right? Like he's so glad that he has this information because he's able to save Arthur's life but he's also really scared that he participated and was like deeply complicit in this injury and so i think that yeah it's it's heightened in this moment but i think that that is exactly the fear with individuality it's i am saying something exciting but also people could laugh at me whatever it is right like there's always the both of it i love it harry is so sensitive in this chapter he's like really looking around at everyone and trying to figure out how they're reacting to him. Mm-hmm. And the one that like really hurts him the most is Dumbledore, right? Like he keeps saying like, I just wish Dumbledore would look at me. It's really irritating him that Dumbledore isn't looking at him. And I'm wondering what you make of that in terms of individuality.
3: One of the first questions that I that I come to is, why isn't Dumbledore looking at him? What is Dumbledore going through? What is Dumbledore feeling or sensing or thinking? Or, in a way, how is Dumbledore protecting Harry as an adult right. who really loves Harry, saying, I don't want to look at him because I don't want him to see the fear in my eyes, the concern in my eyes?
1: Yeah, Harry doesn't know, and we as the readers don't know in this moment, but like it will turn out that Dumbledore has like an actual agenda. But yes, like Harry has no idea.
3: I think even if I bring it, to my life mm-hmm. in moments when I stick my neck out and I say something and somebody whose support I want isn't looking at me. Yeah. The hole I feel in my stomach. Here I am sticking my neck out for all of us, I may think. <laughs> right and you're not looking at me, and there's no magical reason <laughs> that I know of, right? Right. But there might be a love reason. I, I can't look at you right now because I feel so proud, because I feel so much love, and it's hard for me to, to hold that. Right. Or because I, I feel so concerned, I feel so afraid of what you're saying, and I don't want to take your strength away.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So I think when Dumbledore doesn't look at Harry magical reason aside, there's also an individuality and there's a power that's given to Harry by not having to support himself on Dumbledore's gaze, right? Like Harry needs to hold this on his own. It's a part of growing up and it's a part of maturing that you need to be able to hold your individuality yourself. The moment you rely on someone else for that, it's no longer individuality.
1: Right. And I think that's part of what Harry is like crying out for, right? He's like, I'm not ready to do this alone. You feel individuated in a horrible way. Like, you feel singled out, right? He's looking at everybody else. And like, it is so hard in those moments to do what you just modeled for us of like assuming that it's coming from a place of love or (laughs) from like knowing some deep magical strategy, right? You're just like, you just don't even think I deserve to be looked at. It's when you feel singled out, it's so easy to start doubting yourself. And I think because we all carry around guilt for being imperfect people, we are all very quick to believe that other people are judging us for those things when that is not usually the case. Other people, I my desk being clean is a standard to which I hold myself. But when I take people on a tour of my office and I'm like, I'm sorry, my desk is a mess. I don't think most people are actually being like, that desk looks messy, right? Like we can feel judged for exactly the things that we judge ourselves for. But that's not what's going on with Dumbledore at all. And we actually know right that Dumbledore's not looking at Harry because A because of like his love and concern for Harry, right? He doesn't want Harry to become more of a weapon for Voldemort. And two is It's just like actually about Dumbledore, which is almost always the case when someone is judging you or pulling away, right? Like it's not about Harry. It's about Dumbledore and his specificity and in his individuality. Dumbledore knows that Voldemort wants to get to him, right? Like Dumbledore has all the special knowledge and special power and the one person who Voldemort most fears is Dumbledore. And so, you know, he's not saying no one should look at Harry but like Voldemort isn't going to care to weaponize Harry by listening into conversations that he's having with Hermione. It's conversations with Dumbledore that Voldemort will try to sort of like crack into Harry's head for. So it's interesting, right? Because it is a kind of hubris where Dumbledore is like me. Voldemort is going to want to get to me, but it's actually right sized. Like he is absolutely correct.
3: Yeah. Well, we even get a moment of that right before the port key, where where uh, Harry and Dumbledore lock eyes. We see sort of Voldemort come through and feel this anger, and uh, you know Harry wants to bite Dumbledore, and we see how much that hurts Harry and how much that scares Harry, and so we can also see what Dumbledore's protecting him from. Because if there were more of that, yeah. it's not. It's not like Voldemort comes in and moves Harry out of the way. Harry's still there to feel all the things he feels.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I hadn't thought of that that it's like it's not just strategy, it's also love for Harry. I mean, I was just struck this time that Dumbledore is looking at Harry, right? Like he thinks that Harry's going to be looking away in this moment that he's going to be looking at the portkey. And so he is sort of like watching this child and trying to gauge how he's feeling and they happen to catch eyes but like harry even has the wrong information dumbledore is looking at him he's just not making eye contact with him
3: and when you bring it up that way it becomes really beautiful right he's protecting him from a distance the way he can protect him uh knowing that there are bigger things going on that harry and and pretty much that nobody knows yet right like we don't even the reader doesn't know about the Horcruxes, which yeah. are playing out right here, yeah. the connection. And Dumbledore's trying to handle this information sensitively while also taking care of Harry, while also protecting himself. Well, so yeah. Dumbledore has probably a bigger role as an individual because of how much knowledge he has and how much he needs to be able to juggle this. Yeah. When Harry comes in and Dumbledore starts sending his portraits off, you go to St. Mungo's, you do this, you go and you sort of see the Dumbledore old witch and wizard team. Yeah. There's something there that's kind of beautiful, right? Of all these old headmasters, all their energies or their souls. I don't know how the portraits work. uh, All sort of coming together as a team to help with whatever's going on. And also you see Dumbledore as a leader.
1: Yeah, we really see, you know, this idea that Dumbledore doesn't let anyone in, that we like never see a sort of council around Dumbledore. Whereas McGonagall, the second she becomes headmistress, she's like, Haggard, please come here. I need everybody's help. This is one of the moments where we see Dumbledore hold council. It seems like it's a team of cheerleaders, which we need cheerleaders. But- I'm torn. A part of me wants to be like, okay, Dumbledore does have a council of people who he talks to. And the other part of me is like, yeah, but this isn't a diverse enough council to actually be effective.
0: A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. Healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.
2: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all,
1: So now there's like the opposite of individuality in this chapter in I think a really beautiful way, which is that the Weasleys become the Weasleys, right? Like there's no Ginny, there's no Fred and George, there's no distinction between the Weasleys, except maybe Percy, which, you know, is its own thing. It is wake all the Weasley children. All of the Weasleys are welcome at Sirius's house. And it's this crisis that has made them not separate from each other at all, but like as a family, right? They really cohere.
3: Yes. And I, as you're saying this, I'm thinking Mr. Weasley is singled out yes. because he's the hurt one. And so when Mr. Weasley gets singled out, they all sort of coalesce around him, yes. right? The clan has formed around the individual to protect him and to help him heal. Yeah. So yeah, it is the Weasleys and all of the siblings are called in and they're all taken to seriousness, and they're all treated as sort of this mass, but because they're coming around the one who's sort of sticking out
1: yeah, there's this theory that you probably know about more than I do of group dynamics, right? That there's like a certain amount of attention or energy in any given room in any given dynamic. And if one person sucks 90% of it, like the rest of the group is gonna have to split the 10%. And usually, or often, that is in situations where like, that is how it should be. Mr. Weasley needs the 90% of attention. A bride and groom should get most of the attention on the day of their wedding, whatever it is we want people to be the center of attention in those moments and for the rest of us to sort of step back. But then there are moments where that becomes not healthy, but it is healthy here.
3: It absolutely is. They're all in mourning. They're all afraid. They're all scared for what's happening. And so to be seven afraid people versus to all be afraid together makes a big difference. Yeah. To come together to hold those big emotions and to make it safe. I don't need to be an individual here. We're all feeling the same thing. And so we can hold this for each other rather than you each deal with your sadness. You each deal with your fear. So there's a safety, there's a love, and there's a, there's a security in being one, being the Weasleys. Yeah. And what I think is interesting is the moments that Harry feels a part of that and the moments Harry feels like he can't be a part of that you know i was the one who hurt mr weasley so i can't be a part of their clan right
1: i can't sleep right yeah. now everybody and then
3: they say know. no come in we want you here and he yeah. feels welcome but he also feels odd to be there he feels that their looks are are saying we don't like you you hurt our dad get out which is all happening in his head yeah <laughs> uh, they're not actually saying this but but harry can can sometimes be a part of this group and sometimes puts himself out as an individual throughout the chapter in pretty negative ways, right? Being, being hairy here is not a positive thing for him.
1: The other thing that's interesting though, is that there are moments where other Weasleys are separate, right? Molly is separate because she's the one who gets to go to the hospital first and decide when the rest of the kids go. And then there's this moment where Arthur reaches out his arm to hug Jenny. Ron George and Fred are also there and are also scared. But there's something about like being the youngest and probably something gendered about the fact that he reaches out his arm for Ginny. And it is like all of them are getting hugged in that moment though, right? It's like, look, I'm well enough to hug. We don't need to go around the room and have you all hug me because I'm fine. But like, let me hug Ginny. And right, like Ginny becomes this like emissary for the rest of the group,
3: Right. When it is a group, you can hug one member in the group and it's you're hugging the group. You don't have right. to hug each of them individually.
1: Right. <laughs> and I just also want to shout out, Arthur is not just an individual within the Weasleys. He is a very strong individual, even as a patient. He's like probably one of the only patients in there who's like, there's a muggle in the hospital. <laughs> I want to meet the muggle. Right. <laughs> he's, he's still Arthur. So, Mauricia, we are now going to do the sacred reading practice that we call sacred imagination in which I am going to read to you a section of this chapter. And the invitation that I have is that you really try to have a sensory experience using all five of your senses. And you can really imagine yourself into any character in this scene or be a fly on the wall. I'm going to be reading from the very end of the chapter. It is the moment at which Fred and George have pulled out extendable ears. Molly, Mad-Eye, Tonks, and Arthur are talking, and the children are all kicked out. And Fred and George, in this kind of moment that you were talking about, include Harry in listening in on their parents' conversation, and Harry has taken the extendable ears, and this is what happens. Gritting in spite of himself, Harry took the end of the string and inserted it into his ear as the twins had done. Okay, go, Fred whispered. The flesh-colored strings wriggled like long, skinny worms, then snaked under the door. For a few seconds, Harry could hear nothing. Then he heard Tonks whispering, as clearly as though she were standing right beside him. They searched the whole area, but they couldn't find the snake anywhere. "'It just seems to have vanished after it attacked you, Arthur. "'But you-know-who can't have expected a snake to get in, can he?' "'I reckon he sent it as a lookout,' growled Moody. "'Cause he's not had any luck so far, has he? "'No, I reckon he's trying to get a clearer picture of what he's facing. "'And if Arthur hadn't been there, "'the beast would have had much more time to look around. "'So Potter says he saw it all happen?' "'Yes,' said Mrs. Weasley. "'She sounded rather uneasy.' You know, Dumbledore seems almost to have been waiting for Harry to see something like this. Yeah, well, said Moody, there's something funny about the Potter kid. We all know that. Dumbledore seemed worried about Harry when I spoke to him this morning, whispered Mrs. Weasley. Of course he's worried, growled Moody. The boy's seeing things from inside you-know-who's snake. Obviously, Potter doesn't realize what it means, but if you know who's possessing him— Harry pulled the extendable ear out of his own, his heart hammering very fast and heat rushing up to his face. He looked around at the others. They were all staring at him, the strings still trailing from their ears, looking suddenly fearful. So Mauricio, was there anything that you noticed? Were you a particular character here?
3: I was (laughs) Harry. The first thing I noticed is how much... Those ears disgust me. Mm. That's fair. <laughs> <like> the, worms. <laughs> the texture, the worms, the way they I had to put them in my ear. <laughs> and then listening to the adults whispering and knowing that they're talking about me just creates a lot of anxiety in my chest, a pit in my stomach. Because again, I'm being singled out and not in a good way. I'm being thrust to be an individual. I'm no longer part of the clan. And what they're saying about me is I'm being possessed. uh, I'm being used. And then when I pull out the strings and look at my friends and they're all singling me or pushing me away from their clan, there's just a great feeling of loneliness, of despair, a great feeling of sadness, of horror.
1: Yeah, and he was just so included, right? At the beginning of the section, Fred and George were like, come on, do it. And he's like, well, okay, right. Like he's he's being super included. And then he just like becomes ostracized again. I was like very much in this group of people and like in a hospital hallway. And like, I can't help it. I must have been in a muggle hospital hallway because it like the air conditioning was like up. Really hot. Like I was freezing and I was like, I must have been Ginny because I was like near and touching all these like taller boys and was like trying to listen. Right. And so I'm like cold and tired and everything smells like too acidic. And I'm uncomfortable, even though I'm in fine health. Like they haven't showered. Like there's something just like really gross about this feeling and I feel like we've all done that had some early morning where last night did not go as planned and under caffeinated whatever it is and then like getting this just like really shocking news and yeah as Jenny, right like you just want to assume the best in Harry and so I just felt so bad for him right like I wasn't like oh gross I was like oh my god you poor thing And Ginny has been possessed by Voldemort. She's like the one person in the world who can really understand this. And so her being there, I think, is really striking to me that she's standing right there and the only other person in the world who's alive who could understand what this means is feet away.
3: I love that you brought that up because in that moment, when I'm just feeling all those things, it's so hard for me to go, but Ginny's here and she knows what it feels like and she's going to keep me company. It's impossible, but it's also if we can remember to sort of step out of that and notice, right? Because a second ago, we were all connected by these ears. They're all in the same string. (laughs) And then I chose to pull it out and feel the horror and feel the sadness and feel the,
1: yeah. What, when are the moments where like you can actually just like reach out your hand and, ask someone to hold your hand rather than be horrified
3: yeah oh, that would have been a very different harry if instead of a feeling guilty and horrified he reached out and grabbed someone's hand yeah
1: well thank you for doing the spiritual practice with me mauricio
3: thank you for inviting me
2: this message comes from bof sponsor ebay you'll know real when you get it You can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
3: Before Shopify,
0: were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching.
2: Oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof.
0: Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Okay, here's the situation. Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover.
2: We have friends coming to stay and we just got a puppy.
4: Hi Sacred Text team, I'm calling in with a blessing for all the muggle parents of Hogwarts students. My seven-year-old daughter and I just finished the Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets and I also have a 10-year-old son who will be turning 11 this summer in July just like Harry. So we've been thinking a lot about what if he were to get a Hogwarts letter this summer and as my daughter has wisely said, I wouldn't let my son go to a school that I don't even know where it is, know anything about it, or um, presumably even know that wizards exist. So blessings to the parents who have the hard situation of having their children be gone for almost a whole whole year at a time at a school that they don't even know anything about. Thank you.
1: Oh my God. I would never let my child go to the school. I would like to think that they like send some sort of representative and are like, this is what it's like. They show a video of everyone in their beautiful robes in Scotland. But you know, yeah, you you know, that's not what happens.
3: That's not what happens.
1: I recently had a conversation with a kid on his 11th birthday. who's was a huge Harry Potter fan. I was like, so you could get the letter any day now. And he looked at me and he was like, yeah. And he did not look excited <laughs> by the proposition. He was like, I'm glad I get to stay home. And I was like, yeah, 11 is so little. But yeah, I love, Jesse, that you're blessing the parents. I think that I really think I would tell my kid no. <laughs> You can't leave me yet,
3: yeah, I love that blessing too. It had never occurred to me, and speaking on the theme of individuality, what a way for for life to reach out its hand and say, "Hey, you, yeah, you're going to be different from all the other kids you know, and we're going to take you to a school in Scotland that you didn't even know existed
1: where you won't be an individual in that way anymore, right? Where like everyone will be yeah. a witch or wizard like you. Well, thank you, Jesse. Thank you, Jesse. It is now time for us to remember members of our community who have been loved and lost. Rob Lamis, who is thirty-five, a joyful dancer and a beloved friend. Great Aunt Vicky, who is eighty, a reader, adventurer, and a multiple myeloma fighter. Gio, Who was 17, a robotics and quiz bowl student who was deeply missed. Jim Roberts, who was 63, an avid camper, computer guru, and a loved husband, father, and papa choo choo. Camille Glazer, who was 28 a fierce veterinarian, a polar bear swimmer, and a curiosity cultivator. May their memories be a blessing. So Mauricio, we now get to offer a blessing for a character in the chapter. Who would you like to bless?
3: This might be cliche, but I really want to bless Harry. He's trying to understand who he is like all of us, he's confused about whether he is good or bad, about whether he's helping or hurting. And I find myself and so many of the people around me in that position so often that to be able to see him uh, dealing with this, trying to to find his place in life at such a young age, I want to send him my little bit of courage.
1: Mm-mm. I love that. I want to bless all of the other portraits. They, these people are game to help. And I love that. And they're game to do silly things in order to be part of helping, including fake being asleep. And I don't know. I love people who show up and are like, that's what you need me to do? Okay. It's just, you know, that's a great vibe to have in your life. Next week, we're reading Book 5, Chapter 23, Christmas on the Closed Ward, through the theme of vulnerability, with Matt Potts. A few reminders before we give our thanks. We have a publishing crash course with Mackenzie Lee that you can sign up for and also a group chaplaincy session on showing up for trans kids, and you can sign up for both of those at NotSorryWorks.com. You can also sign up for ad-free episodes on Apple Podcasts or through our Patreon. This was a Not Sorry production. We are a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Caitlin Hoffmeister, and we are edited and produced by AJ Uramas. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by ACAST. We'd like to thank Jesse for their voicemail this week. Ariana Nettleman, Julia Argy, Margaret H. Willison, Nikki Zoltan, Hannah Rehack, Matt Potts, Courtney Brown, Casper Terkyle, Natalie Fulkerts, Stephanie Paulsell, and everyone who sent in the names of their loved ones. And a special thank you to you, Mauricio Bruce, for coming and doing this episode with me.
3: I was so excited to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me.
1: Okay, Mao. Can you please count me in?
3: Yes, uh, from from thirty.
4: <laughs> Actually, from a hundred backwards by sevens.